somebody doesn't like something, they come after it, speak against it, and try to eradicate it. And you need to understand that that will happen concerning your faith. People will try and come against your faith. So if you don't make up your mind now that you're going to stand on the Word of God and on the promise of God and that that part of your life is not up for option, then you're going to be able to be moved or swayed. Sometimes I think it's important that we understand what we're standing on. Someone said, well, I think God is, and I believe heaven is, and I don't want anybody to take offense what I'm going to say, but it really doesn't matter what you think. It's what this says. It's what this says. And this is what we stand on. I, everybody, you know, I, I shared before, I said opinions are, you know, everybody's got one. And how many of you know that everybody's opinion can't be right? I mean, there are some people that like hominy. That's their opinion. And you're entitled to your opinion. You can be wrong if you want to be wrong. But <laughs> it's everybody's opinion. Everybody has an opinion about something. I love black walnut ice cream. Uh, praise God. There's some believers in the building today. No, okay. but, but my, I'm the only one in my family that likes black walnut ice cream. All the rest of them, that my, my wife tells me, said it tastes like mildew or something. I'm thinking, what's mildew taste like? <laughs> and so I guess it tastes like mildew. Oh, musty. That's it. She said it tastes musty. But what I'm saying is this, is, and, and you're allowed, you can have your opinion about food and things like that because that's, that's all about personal preference, right? But when it comes to the Word of God, it's not personal preference. It's not about what I think about God or how I feel about God. It's what God said. So today, I want to speak to you for just a little while on this topic. Everybody say it with me. It's time to take a stand. How many of you have ever heard this before? If we don't stand for something, we'll fall for anything. And so I think it's really important that you understand your faith, that you know, Paul said, I know in whom I've trusted and whom I've believed. And I'm persuaded he's able to keep that that I've committed to him. You, if you don't get, if, if we don't understand God, then we'll end up questioning God. Let me share a scripture with you. Genesis 3, verses 1 to 5. This is in the NLT. If you would throw that picture up for me, please. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. For God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Do you understand that in the passage that I just read to you that there's something that occurs for the first time in the Bible? It's the first time in Scripture that a question is asked. From the beginning of creation, God is not asking questions. God is making statements. Let there be light, and there was light. He commanded things. He declared things, and those things came to pass. So God is not asking the first question in Scripture, and man is not asking the first thing in Scripture. The devil is asking the first question in Scripture. And you need to understand something. There's a huge difference between asking God a question and questioning God. You see, if you ask God a question, asking God a question will bring you to the presence of God to hear from God what the answer is. But questioning God takes you from the presence of God 
and separate you from the power and purpose of God in your life. Satan shows up, and when Satan shows up, he's very subtle about it. He asks a question, but the question is intended to make Eve question God's Word. It was never a question that he wanted answered. It was an innuendo. It was something that he was trying to plant in her mind and in her spirit to get her to begin to question God. When she takes the bait and she begins to question God, she looks at the fruit of the tree and she said it was, a, it was beautiful. You know, it was a, a good fruit and it was a beautiful tree. And all of a sudden, she's allowed the devil to supplant her understanding of God. She's questioning the presence of God. Now it's taking her to a place that she doesn't want to go. And she doesn't even realize she's going there. She takes the fruit. She eats it. And in the, that moment, everything changes. Understand that questioning God, asking God a question, brings you to the presence of God for the answer. Questioning God, questioning his word, questioning his authority, takes us, separates us from God. The first thing they did after that was they hid themselves. Now they've separated themselves from the presence of God and they would lose relationship that they had known with God and it will have a detri detrimental impact on their family. There's a reason God wanted to keep them from knowing evil. And the reason is so evil could never know them. I want to say it again. I want you to get this. The reason God wants to keep them from knowing evil is so that evil can never know them. I've often sat and contemplated what it would be like to live in a world where I did not know evil. And I've got to tell you, I've yearned for it and longed for it in my heart. I thought to myself, how, how many heartbreaks would it have saved me? How many battles in my mind would it have kept me from? if evil had never been introduced. But since it was introduced to them and they grabbed hold of it, guess what? We got it passed down to us. Everybody say, it came through the gene pool. Matter of fact, let me ask you this question. How many of you had to teach your children how to be bad? <laughs> Nobody, right? You didn't have to teach your kids how not to do something, right? You know, you didn't have to tell them that, you didn't have to teach them how to lie or how to cheat or, well, my child never did that, not while you were looking. <laughs> and the truth is, is that it's inherent in us. And even though that it's not uh, supposed to be a part of us, it got passed to us, and now we battle with this. I want you to look what happens with Adam and Eve. They get pushed out of the presence of God. They have children, and they have two boys named Cain and Abel. These two boys will represent what happened in that garden with the tree when they ate and, and found evil and good. You know, there's something wrong when we're hiding from God or when we're trying to hide what we're doing from God. And how many of you know that God sees everything? So in our mind, we get this idea that we're hiding it, but the truth is, is we're not hiding it at all, that God's well aware of it. They come in to their own. They become young men, and Cain offers an offering to the Lord. Let me just read it to you. This is found in Cain, or Genesis chapter 4, starting with verse 3. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Everybody say, the fruit of the ground. But Abel brought an offering of the finest firstborn. Say it with me, firstborn 
of his flock and the fat portions. And the Lord had respect, regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no respect. So Cain became extremely angry, indignant. He looked annoyed and hostile. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why do you look annoyed? If you do well, believing me and doing what is acceptable and pleasing to me, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, but ignore my instructions, sin crouches at your door and its desire is for you to overpower you, but you must master it. Everybody say master it. They find themselves wanting to present before God, bringing something to God. So there's still some relationship going on here, right? And what does Cain bring? Cain brings just some of the fruit of the ground. And God rejected it. Why? Well, let's look at what Abel brought and we'll discover it. Abel brought what? Abel brought the firstlings, everybody say first, the firstlings of the flock. In other words, what Abel offered to God was his first, his best. Cain didn't bring the first fruits of that crop. He just brought some of the crop. And hear what I'm going to tell you today. God doesn't know how to be second in your life. He's either going to be number one or he's not going to be there. And so what happens is he separates himself by saying, well, I, I, I don't want to give that to God, but Cain is willingly giving him the very best, the first. Let's take a look at the name and see if we can discover something from the name. Let me play with the name a little bit. How do you spell Cain? C-A-I-N. Take the I out and put it in front because that's what Cain did. He put himself before God. And when you take the I out and put it in front, you don't have Cain anymore. You have I can. I can do whatever I want to do, and God's just going to have to deal with it. I can do whatever I want. Have you ever had some, met somebody like that, that they didn't care about your thoughts or your opinions? I'll just do whatever I want to do. They don't hear when you're trying to give instruction or you're trying to help. No, no, I can do it myself. When did you hear that stuff? When they were little, it started trying to get up in them. I do it myself. I don't need you. I don't need your input. I don't want you messing with me. I want to do it myself, even if doing it yourself is going to harm you. Even if doing it yourself is going to get you in a world of trouble, it's still that I can do whatever I want to do. And that's an evil mentality. And we've all experienced it and felt it. But Abel, his name speaks for itself. Abel is not questioning God. Abel is a statement. Everybody say it with me. I am Abel. I am able to follow God. How many of you have heard people say, well, I wish I'd I'd serve God, but it's just too hard. No, no. The scripture says that the way of a transgressor is hard. My father-in-law used to say it's hard to serve God easy, but it's easy to serve God hard. When you make up your mind that you're going to follow after him, all of a sudden you just take a stand and you say, you know what? I'm going to give God everything I've got. I'm going to give him the best I got. I'm not going to give him leftovers or seconds. I'm going to give him the very best and when you God give God your best you can rest assured that God is going to give his best back to you and I'm going to prove that he's already done that before this message is over everybody say it with me I can do whatever I want well you can but you'll pay a price for it sometimes It's not even about us questioning God. It becomes a question of questioning ourselves. You ever been there? I want you to think about this. If the devil can't get you to question God's word, he tries to to get you to question your worth. Take a look at Moses. He'd been 40 years in Egypt educated by the very finest the world had to offer, and he ends up in a mess and he runs off. He winds up on the backside of a desert, but God had not forgotten him. 
And God shows up when he least expected it. There's a burning bush experience that he has, and he approaches the bush, and God speaks to him out of that bush, and listen to what God tells him. This is Exodus chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord speaking, Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you. Everybody say that. He's sending me. He says, now go for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Say it with me, who am I? Have you ever done it before when God was trying to deal with you to... to, get you to do something and all of a sudden you started questioning your own worth and you're saying, well, who am I? I can't do that. I realized something because I I went through this. I realized that when I question God's ability to use me, it wasn't focusing on my inability It was a focus on God. What I was doing is I was saying, God's not big enough to use me. God's not powerful enough to use me. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, oh, God can't save me. I was talking to him. God can't save me. God can't save me. And I finally got up to here with it. And I looked at him. I said, would you do me a favor? He said, what's that? I said, would you quit telling God what he can do and what he can't do? I said, God is more than able to save you. He's more than able to set you free. And he's more than able to use you. If you get in agreement with him. If it's not about I can do whatever I want and instead it's about I'm able to follow you. I'm able to do what you've asked me to do. So this is how God deals with Moses questioning his self-worth. He does it by taking Moses' attention off of himself and causing him to focus on God. You know, Thinking less of yourself isn't about thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. Did anybody pick up what I just said? In other words, true humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. In other words, you're not the center of your world anymore. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of, you ever eat it? So, you know, I mean, how many Fonzie spirits do we have? You know what I mean? It, it's, it's just when all of a sudden everything has to revolve around you. And the truth is, is if I die today, the world's going to keep on going. <laughs> the, the wor- I, I hope that at least someone misses me. I hope my wife would say, I sure do miss him. But the world's going to keep on going. But hear me. When you get the world focused where it ought to be focused, and that's that the world revolves around God, do you understand without God, this world is in the chaos? He took the world and hung it on nothing and said, stay there, and he's able to keep it in place. And so he he goes to Moses, and he says, Moses, let's take the focus off you and get it over here where it ought to be on me. And this is how he answers Moses. He responds to Moses question with a statement. Exodus 3 and 14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you to me. God is letting Moses know the reason you're going to be able to do this is because of who I am, not because of who you are. It's because of who I am. Do you ever have somebody that thought that, I mean, they just... You couldn't, you couldn't explain anything to them. They just already knew it. I had a guy I worked with, and I, and I had this, this machine in the back, and I used to have to check the continuity of wire. 
So you would put, it was called a sparker box, and you would ground it out on the coil, and you would stick it to the copper, and you would shoot it through there, and if it if it sparked out, the box would go, because what it was doing, it was shooting voltage through there. It was something like 12,000 volts of electricity going through that wire. Consequently, once you did that, you had to take that wire and you, that copper, and you had to touch it against metal to ground it out. Because if you didn't, you're going to get shot, man. You're about to get lit up. And I can't tell you how many times I thought I'd grounded that out and didn't quite get it. And it touched like, oh, man. So I was explaining this to a guy that was back there, and I was supposed to train on how to do that. He was older than I was, and naturally, if you're older than I am, you know more than I do. And so when I explained that to him, he said, that ain't true. I said, What? He said, I don't care what you say. He said, that's not possible for that wire to hold a charge because it's not, you can't do that. It doesn't, I said, well, yeah, it doesn't. I said, let let me show you. And so I just touched it for a second. And I said, now touch that. And he touched it. I said, "Did, did you feel a little tingle? He looked at me and he said, if I felt a tingle, would I be holding it? That was the wrong thing to say to me. So I said, okay, hold on a second i said touch it now he said i'm telling you this Ah! (laughs) it lit him up and i smiled and i said did you get bit a little bit and he said well you know why that happened to me i stand on this extension cord (laughs) i said get off the cord and let's do it again No, 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 I ain't going to do it. I'm telling you that sometimes we've got to learn that this is not about us. It's not about who we are. It's about who he is. And he is well able to use you. He can not only save us and deliver us, but he can use us. Turn around and look at your neighbor and say, I don't care what you think about yourself. God's big enough to use you. God's big enough to use you. He can do it. He can use you. God is teaching Moses to take a stand on God's identity rather than question his own. We need to learn how to stand on who God is. And when we stand on who God is, we'll have an understanding of who we are. Now, when the devil approaches Jesus, the devil uses a different tactic. Now, I'm going to let you go to the Scripture if you want to. I'm I'm going to just quote some Scriptures, okay? The devil uses a different tactic because he knows he's not going to be able to get Jesus to question his identity. So rather than approaching Jesus and trying to get Jesus to question his identity... He tries to get Jesus to prove who he is. He goes to him after he's been in the wilderness fasting 40 days and 40 nights. And he comes to him and he says, hey, if you're the son of God, prove it. He didn't say it like that. But he said, hey, if you're the son of God, he said, command these stones be made bread. What's he doing? He's saying, prove it. I love the way Jesus responds to him. Jesus looks at him. And he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Did you see what just happened? You do understand that Adam, the first Adam was carnal, but the second Adam, Jesus, is spirit, right? And so look what happened. The first Adam fell victim by questioning the word of God on the devil's attack. The second Adam, Jesus, used the word of God against the devil's attack. It makes a difference, folks, when you learn how to take a stand. Everybody say, I can't stand it. (laughs) Yeah, you can. You can stand. You you ever, I mean, I, I hear that, oh, I just can't stand it. I can't stand it. Yeah, you can, because he'll put no more on you than you're able to bear. And so having done all to stand, stand. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, 
take a stand. Some of us understand, you know, some of us do that every year. We take a stand out into the deer woods. <laughs> stand in it all day long. We need to get committed to God more than we're committed to anything else in our life. And when I knew one guy, this is a true story, I knew one guy, every deer season, he backslide. It's the truth, man. He would leave. To, he'd, he'd have a falling out. He'd, he'd take off. He'd be gone for months. And, and I went to him one day. Look, I, the only reason I did this is because I felt the Lord dealing with me. It wasn't Rick. It was God telling Rick to do this. And I said, I can do it. So I went to him, and I started talking to him. And he was telling me about, yeah, he said, I just don't feel comfortable there anymore. And I said, well, look, I'm not here trying to get you to go to a specific church. I'm just wanting you to go to church. He said, well, yeah, we want to be in church. I said, so how many churches have you gone to? Well, uh, we hadn't quite got around to that part yet. I said, now, wait a minute. I said, you told me. I said, you, you want to serve God, right? Yeah. And I said, you want your family serving God, right? Yeah. I said, you ought to be spending every Sunday trying to find a church that you are comfortable in. I said, but you haven't been to a church at all? And he looked at me and I said, can I make an observation? I said, every year around deer season, you tend to have a fallout with God or with the church. And then you're completely away from God. Don't you understand you can still hunt deer and live for God? I do it all the time. You don't have to give up God just to try. You can do it, but we get this thinking in our head, and we allow the devil to manipulate us. It's time to take a stand and say, I'm not giving up, and I'm not giving in. So when the devil can't get Jesus to fall for it, and he goes, oh, he used a word against me. So what's the devil do? The devil uses the word and twists it. I can't tell you how many people I've had approach me that tried to twist the Word of God. I'd look at them and say, well, why don't, let's get that in context. <laughs> because trying to cherry pick a scripture to make it mean what you want it to mean is a ploy of the devil. So the devil takes him. Now think about this. The Bible said that the devil took him. Somehow the devil lifts Jesus up and he takes him to the temple. He was in the wilderness. He takes him to the temple, to a high pinnacle inside the temple. And he says, now if you're the son of God, throw yourself off this pinnacle because it is written that he'll give his angels charge concerning you to bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus ain't biting on it. He turned around and he looked at the devil and he said, it's also written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Do you understand what he's doing? He is defeating the devil on his own territory. The devil keeps trying to get Jesus to tap in to his divinity because he knows if he does, it will leave us helpless and we'll be confused because we're saying, but that's the son of God. I can't fight the devil like that. But instead, he takes the devil on as a man. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. What's he doing? He said, I don't have to become, tap into who I am. I don't have to prove who I am. I know who I am. I know who God is, and I know who I am. And I'm telling you right now that man can stand on the word of God and defeat you every time. When you stand on the Word of God, I want to ask a question. Don't anybody answer it out loud. How much time do you spend in this? You do understand that this is the only offensive weapon we have. This is the weapon that we used to attack with. You say, you mean you attack every chance I get? Every once in a while, I get tired of taking a beating. Every once in a while, I'd like to land a punch. <laughs> and so the only way I can land a punch is with the Word of God. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus finally gets the devil to show his hand. Because this back and forth that's been going on 
it's never been about proving who he was. It's been about something entirely different. The Bible said then the devil took Jesus to a high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, I'll give you all this if you'll worship me. There it is in a nutshell. The devil wants your relationship with God. The devil wants you to build relationship with him. Now, I know what's going through everybody's mind. I would never build relationship with the devil. But when the devil gets you to question God's word and God's authority, whether you realize it or not, you're building relationship with him. He's slipping in and he's taking something away from you that's very powerful, your faith. The Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Sometimes you just have to believe. You just have to believe. Have you ever found yourself going through something and you couldn't figure out why? Facing something and you didn't know when it was going to end and the devil trying to attack your mind and get in your spirit and saying, if God loved you, why is this happening? Why doesn't God, why? He's trying to get you to question God. And there have been times that I've had to stand up and say, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know when you're going to do it, but I know you are going to do it. I trust you, God. I believe you, God. you got to make up your mind which hill you're ready to die on. He chose Calvary. I choose him. When we get our mind made up and stand on his truth, I think about how the devil showed his hand before the Old Testament I love because the Old Testament is filled with types and shadows. That's going to point to something else. It's kind of like taking a picture of food. I've seen, I have seen, how many of you have ever seen pictures of food that look good enough to eat? <laughs> how many of you ate the picture? No, you know, we, we, you can't. It's just a type. It's just a shadow of it. But it's letting you know that there's something really good coming. And so what happens, Abraham finds himself in a battle for his family. Everybody say type and shadow. Because you're in a battle for yours right now. You want your family. Abraham goes after the one that stole his family. He goes after these five kings and defeats them. He rescues his nephew, he rescues his nephew Lot. And as he's coming back from that battle, there's an individual that goes out to meet him. He is a king and a priest. His name is Melchizedek. He is the king of Salem, and that means Salem there is ancient Jerusalem. And so the word Salem is an offshoot of the word shalom. It means king of peace. Everybody say, there's the type. Because I know of a prince of peace. And he is a high priest before God. Hebrews would say that Jesus is forever a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek didn't have beginning or ending, no mother or father. He is a type and shadow of Christ. And when he shows up, he blesses Abraham. And Abraham, when there is no law dictating tithe, Abraham gives him a tenth of all he possesses, not because of a law, but because of his heart. So understand this, tithing has never been under the law. Tithing has always been a response from the heart. It's not because I have to. It's I want to. And Abraham, Melchizedek blesses him. Now someone else shows up there. Now if Melchizedek is a type and a shadow of Christ, 
This other person that shows up is also a type in shadow. The other person that shows up is the king of Sodom. So let me ask you a question. Who is the king of Sodom a type and shadow of? Satan. Watch. When the king of Sodom shows up, this is what he says to Abraham. Give me the people and I'll give you my stuff. In other words, what the devil is saying is I want your relationship. Give me your relationships, and I'll give you my stuff. It's the same thing that he does with Jesus on that high mountain. Bow down and worship. Give me your relationship with God, and I will give you all my stuff. Abraham in that moment looked at him and said, I have raised my hand before God and taken an oath that I'm not taking anything from you, not a shoelace, not a leather strap. I'm not taking anything because you're not going to have a hold on me. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's time to take a stand. It's time for us to stand up and say, wait a minute. I'm a blood-bought child of God. You cannot have me. You can't have my family. You can't have my children. I am declaring this. I'm not asking a question. I'm making a statement. I'm taking a stand. Years ago, there was, how many of you have heard the song, Witch's Invitation? Wave your hand if you've ever heard that. A few people. Those of you that haven't heard that, go home and Google Carmen, which is Invitation. It is a song that was built on a true story. It happened, that song literally took place with a minister. The minister's name was Mario. He was, he got a letter in the mail from a professed warlock that invited him to his house, and he said, I need to talk to you. When he got to the warlock's house, the warlock set him down in a chair. Now, this happened, and he got a big scrapbook out, and he brought that scrapbook out, and he started showing all these newspaper articles. And he said, this man here, I cursed with a Babylonian chant, and he got AIDS. This man over here, I, I, I conjured and caused him to die of cancer. And he starts telling all this stuff, flipping page after page after page. And then he, looks at, he looked at Mario, and he looks at him, and he says, now tell me what can your God do to compare with that? Because that's always what the devil is trying to get you into, a tit for tat, going back and forth with him. The Bible says, give no place to the devil. Mario said, I sat there for a moment and almost felt violated. He said, I thought, God, what am I going to say? And he said, then all of a sudden, man, I felt the Holy Spirit hit me. He said, I jumped up and looked at that man, shoved that book back in his chest and said, I am not going to compare the devil versus, or he said, I'm not going to compare Satan versus God. He said, but there is something I will compare, and that's your soul against my soul. He said, at the end of this, when you're dying and those demons come from you what Babylonian chant what incantation are you going to say to keep them from dragging your soul to hell he said I'm going to tell you right now what I'm going to say I'm bought by the blood of Jesus Christ let me go do you understand that there is some power in the word of God he's not the Bible says not by might nor yet by power but by my spirit his spirit is powerful when we stand on his word, we're standing on a sure foundation. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time for us to take a stand. When we do, it changes everything. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. This is in 2 Timothy 1, verses 9 to 12. For he delivered us and saved us and called us with a holy calling. A calling that leads to a consecrated life, a life set apart, a life of purpose. Not because of our works or because of any personal merit, we could do nothing to earn this. But because of his own purpose and grace, his amazing undeserved favor, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus before the world began eternal ages ago. This is why I suffer as I do. Still, 
I'm not ashamed, for I know him, and I'm personally acquainted with him, whom I have believed with absolute trust and confidence in him and the truth of his deity, and I am persuaded beyond any doubt that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him until the day when I stand before him. Somebody say, I trust him. Paul's saying, I'm taking a stand on the word of God. I understand who he is. And because I know who he is, I understand who I am. I'm blood bought. I've got power through Christ. He says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Why? Because of this word. Hebrews 4 and 12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Everybody say the word. When you stand on the word, it works. Not my opinion, not my translation, his word. His word is not just powerful, but it accomplishes what it was sent out to do. It doesn't return to him void. Let me give you a literal illustration of how powerful the word of God is. What do you think probably the most known scripture in the world is? John 3.16. Let's say it together, can we? John 3.16, go. Isn't that amazing? I didn't have to prompt you. Everybody, everybody's quoting that out, you know, or, or, or at least moving your mouth like you knew it. But, but it, was, it was like, because we know that, man, it's on T-shirts, it's on bumper stickers, it's on billboards. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave it. It's so powerful. Look, the even sports figures put it on. You remember in 2010, it was the championship, the football national championship, and the quarterback, Tim Tebow, you know, had to black under his eye, and he inscribed John 3.16. At the end of that game, that's all it was. It was, it was just under his eye. Nobody said, nobody's on there. Everybody look up John 3.16. You know, they did close-ups of him when he was passing, things like that. Do you know on that night that 94 million people Googled John 3.16? 94 million people. What was he doing? He's saying, I'm taking a stand on the Word of God. Now, watch what happens. Three years later to the day that that game was played, the Denver Broncos are playing the Pittsburgh Steelers in a playoff game, and Tim Tebow is the quarterback for the Broncos. In the last seconds of that game, he throws for a touchdown pass, and they win that championship. They end up... That they have, how many of you know that in sports they all have these stats people? After that game was over, they ran up to Tim Tebow and they said, Hey, I've got some stats for you. <laughs> he said, The last touchdown pass he threw during the game caused a total of yards that he'd thrown before, or it says, The last touchdown pass he threw during the game caused the total number of yards that he threw for to be 316 yards. Everybody say 316. With, a, with an average of 3.6 yards per reception. 316. Their possession time was 31 minutes and 6 seconds. 316. His yards per carry was 3.16 yards. <laughs> 316. Every number that came up that night had 316 in it in the stats. And at the end of that game, they discovered that over 90 million people had Googled John 316. Why? 
Because one man decided, I'm not going to cave. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to stand up and be counted. How about you? Are you ready to stand up and be counted? Would you stand with me today? I don't know how many people, you know, over the process of the, those two games, you're talking about 184 million people that read John 3.16. There's no way for us to know how many of that 184 million people gave their life to God that discovered and maybe read it for the first time, for God so loved the world. Wow. God loved me, cared for me. Yeah, even when you didn't care for yourself. Even when you were saying, I can do whatever I want and trying to fly in the face of God, God was making a way for you. He was trying to reach you and pull you in. So today in this building, I feel like it's only right for us to take a moment and give you an opportunity to invite him in. Those that are watching by internet today, by live stream, you need to understand that God's never given up on you. He's never turned his back on you, nor has he turned his back on us. He's always been there with his hands stretched out, saying, whosoever will, let him come. I'm done letting the devil, or getting, allowing the devil to let me question God. I choose to stand on the Word of God, to stand on the promise of His Word, and I'm willing to live and die on this mountain. Because when you stand on the Word of God and you close your eyes, you're standing in the presence of God. <laughs> I wonder if you'd pray this with me right now. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I realize now the price that you paid for me. And I'm sorry. I'm so sorry you had to die. But I'm so thankful that you're alive again. So today, I say no to my old way of life. I turn my back on it, and I turn my face towards you, and I say yes. I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died for my sin, and you rose from the grave. And so today I surrender my life and I lay it down at your feet and I ask you, receive me, change me, save me in Jesus' name. Come on and give my hand clap of praise in this building today. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up and if you're in this building and you've got questions, bring them to God. Because God will give you answers. But if you're questioning God, bring that up here too and lay it down and let God erase the doubt and the fear and turn it into faith so that when you walk out of here, you're able to stand strong and sure and know that he is who he said he is. And my friend, you are who he declared you are in Jesus' name. Come on, as we love him one more time. They're going to sing this song. Debbie's going to sing this song. Everybody just, I want you to raise your hands as high as you can. Put them up over your head and just begin to give him a standing ovation because he is worthy. He is worthy of all our praise. He's kept us, 
He's preserved us and he's promised. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. How do you know that? How can you be so sure of it? Because the word said, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Somebody shout yes. Come on, give me a hand clap of praise. Father, we love you. We praise you. We magnify you. I thank you, God, for each member of this church. I pray your blessing over them, that you empower them and equip them and let them stand on the promise of your word in Jesus' name. We love you today. God bless you. It's back, and it feels like the end, oh Lord. You are more than enough. 